On this episode of Wild in the Streets, Henry Silva and Woody Strode are two American hitmen in Italy trying to track down Mario Adorf's slimy but sympathetic pimp, Luca Canali, in Fernando De Leo's 1972 thriller, The Italian Connection. Welcome to Wild in the Streets, a deep dive into the Euro crime films of the 1970s and beyond. I'm Doug Tilly, and with me as always is the boss, Liam O'Donnell. How are you doing today, Liam? Hey! Hey! <laughs> I'm pretty good, I'm pretty good. How are you doing? I'm alright. Liam, have you ever... Um, one of the things that you love to talk about in regards to your tough friends oh, is yeah. that they're yeah they're organizing... They're like part of crime. Like, you, you know a lot of criminals, people who have done criminal activity. No, like mm-hmm. it, it depends on how you understand criminal activity. I don't know. Sure. Lo- I don't know a lot of people who make their money from doing illegal things, but I know a lot of people, and a lot is an exaggeration. I know uh-huh. people who uh-huh. have done illegal things that I think they think are, are not a big deal. Like they don't think of themselves. But for me, Doug, if we're not talking about a protest, because I have done illegal things at protests, but when it comes to just everyday life, I don't do any illegal shit. I and not because I respect the law, but like the idea of getting hassled for no reason is just psychotic to me, you know. And I also don't fight, so like I don't really have a reason to like have someone come check me out for an assault charge. You know what I mean? So is that a prerequisite to be involved in this crime? Is that you need to be able to fight? No, but I mean, I think that's the reason why a number of people who think of themselves as not criminals mm-hmm. still end up with criminal records because they have anger problems, I assume, or other related emotional damage. Or I, I shouldn't say that. There are people who just believe that in certain situations you act violently. And I, I can't judge that uh, uh, because I think that a lot more people think that's true. They're just willing to pay cops to do their violence for them. Sure. Uh, but they still believe in violence. I just literally don't believe in violence by me or anyone else. So I and I made that decision a long time ago. Uh, so even though I got beat up a chunk of times and I had plenty of opportunities to learn how to fight, uh, whether it was my ideology or my cowardice, I never bothered to learn how to fight because I'm like, well, I don't want to fight. I don't believe in that, you know. Except for Capoeira. Well, that's true, but I, I'll tell you what, no one who was doing Capoeira was actually fighting anybody with that Capoeira <laughs> shit. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> even the uh, even the people talk about in Capoeira talk about well, Capoeira developed gangs used it for whatever, but it wasn't like actual fighting when the when gangs in Brazil were doing Capoeira, they would put a razor between their toes. And whoever got cut first lost, but you didn't actually beat the person up. Sorry, I was trying to remember the name of who was the guy who, yeah, it was Eddie Gordo, right? From Street Fighter. No, Tekken, sorry. Eddie Gordo from Tekken. He did Capoeira uh, and used that to fight with. And there's also a guy who uses it in Ang Bak, right? I guess so. Yeah, I don't know. I'm actually, pretty sure. I feel like I feel like it's not something you could. Well, you know, a uh, uh, f- 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 friend of the show and avid listener Sharky has told me many times that no one can actually fight with Capoeira. That's not a. What real about thing. Eddie Gordo, Sharky? <laughs> uh, Liam, uh, when you talked about uh, earlier about your friends who are criminals, um, now you I don't need to name names. That. I know people who. Yeah. Are, that's not a. Mm-hmm. That's not like. Oh, I have all these crime friends. I think you're kind of exaggerating this because you don't have They participate any sort of... in criminal activities, so they're criminals, yeah, right? Like I'm not, one I'm not making a moral people. judgment about it. No, 100%. No, 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 no. And that's, I think, something we've established on this show, that we're, we, we are actually pretty open to that. But I don't want to give people the wrong idea that I have all these like nefarious friends, not because of, you know, uh, I don't want people to think that I'm like out here like in these streets. I'm a pretty boring dude with pretty yeah, boring we know. friends. Look, believe me, anyone who's listened to our podcast knows, yeah, that knows how boring i am yeah, yeah, yeah so in terms of your criminal friends uh Jesus. you don't need to name names in fact you probably shouldn't but what kind of crimes are we talking about um well you know i have a couple friends who have at times had uh-huh. to steal things and definitely have friends who have um before it was legal in their state uh acquired stuff for people but not a lot like, what kind again, of stuff like we're talking about illegal drugs you're talking about 
Yeah, 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 yeah. But it's it's again, you're making it sound like friends. Like I have a crew of people. I just know a few people here and there. It's not. Hi like- again. You are reading into this so hard. I'm just asking you questions about your circle of pals. You just you know how to have a toad, and I hate the toad. And I know you love it because you're like poking me or whatever. But I don't, you know, I, I to me, there's a way that people talk about this stuff that tries to make themselves sound cool, and uh-huh. I never want to give that vibe because I don't, you know. Besides the fact that like I don't really think uh, a lot of this is even very cool in the first place, I also mm. don't want to um, pretend like I think knowing people who do anything makes me cool. Nothing could be less cool than being like, I have a friend and he did something or she did something and therefore I am also cool. It's like not only is this thing not cool, but even if it was cool, like if you're friends with a stunt person, you're not cool. They're kind of cool, but you you aren't cool. You know, like I, I, that's I think a thing. And I think, Doug, you know this and that's why you're fucking with me. <laughs> well, your access to someone who might be cool could be cool to me because it could grant me access to that person. Never. I would never grant you access to anyone. <laughs> anyone I know who does anything even interesting, let alone cool. All right, Liam, let's move away from your criminal buddies for a little oh my bit. God, I hate we're going to be so talking much. about today on the podcast, we're talking about The Italian Connection, a movie from 1972. Uh, the title, The Italian Connection, seems like it's likely uh, derived from the French Connection. Now, Liam, I know we've mentioned before movies that have inspired a lot of the Eurocrime movies that we cover on this show. Dirty Harry is one that we talk about a lot, and we have brought up The French Connection in the past. What are your thoughts on The French Connection? Oh, I mean. It's a hard movie in 2023 because, oh, excuse me, Doug, sorry. Jesus Christ. Sorry. <laughs> um, it's a hard movie because Disney keeps editing it. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's a hard movie in 2023. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly. They edit it because in 2023, we've kind of confused uh, depiction with endorsement. And mm. I think in the case of this movie, which I think has a much more negative view of its uh, uh, police characters than I think people realize – uh, it, it can get really confusing. I mean, a whole fast food chain was based off a racist cop. So that's weird. You know, that's a strange Here's thing. the thing, Liam. Yeah. I know that that is the story that the people from Popeyes use. But you think, but it's, I, you think it's fake? I think it's a fake because they, A, the, the character of Popeye has already been licensed to a franchise. I, th- I think it's only Canada specific, but there's like a, a supplements franchise called Popeyes. But also that if, you know, Popeye is such a, a significant name in pop culture because of that cartoon character. And they would likely wouldn't be able to name an entire restaurant out of it. Or maybe they could on a small level, but once it went national, they couldn't. So he just went with something that's like, oh, the other famous Popeye in pop culture. Is, because is he this knew our be second time it. talking about Popeye on this show? What the it fuck? is. In fact, twice in a row, I believe. Isn't that wild? Right. Wild in the streets. That's, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> but I do like The French Connection a lot. I think it is very a very exciting, very well-executed movie. And I think if you're already inclined to mistrust any police character you're said it that it works really well i think even in even in uh, our modern context uh but i understand that it is it it maybe has uh, aspects of it that are difficult for folks now even in the filmmaking right because it was not safe right like it has one sure. of the greatest mm-hmm. chase scenes of all time uh, and one of the reasons it's so exciting is because it's actually not safe and uh, you know in 2023 i think we're aware enough to go i don't think the movie's worth it if someone had gotten hurt if someone had gotten hurt really badly, then that the movie isn't worth that risk, I don't think. I do think that one of the interesting things about The French Connection is that William Friedkin, the director, he worked really closely with police officers, right? He had them on set. He you know, he obviously had a lot of respect for them and was was really building a world that was based on the world that they told him the world was like, basically. So th- the fact that when you watch that movie, you come out of it thinking, wow, these cops they're all fucked up and they're kind of pieces of shit. That's kind of that's still strange to me because you also get the the perspective that Freakin actually has tons of respect for these cops at the same time. It's just that the reality that they tell him make them look like scumbags. Yeah, exactly. Well, and uh, I think that's the thing is that if if you for me, Doug, the fact that this is real, that Freakin isn't criticizing these folks. Uh, he's trying to represent how they represent themselves to him makes it even better for me as a viewer because I'm like, yeah, they can't even help themselves but be shitty. Because <laughs> well, it really is as exciting as a movie as it is, and as much as within the context of the movie, I understand that 
these folks are struggling against other people that are also bad, they're not fucking heroes, right? And right. I, and I think just in the idea that freaking though he does have respect for what they do and who they are he also isn't willing to to mythologize them this isn't fucking propaganda and just in the act of not creating propaganda he can't help but create something that is inherently critical of their existence well one of the reasons i wanted to bring up the french connection is that as you mentioned it has a very famous chase scene in it and though people i think mostly remember the part where it's uh going underneath the uh streetcar and like the car sw- swerving within traffic, like you said, a very dangerous scene to film. That that whole sequence goes on very long, and we have Popeye Doyle kind of getting out of a car and ch- chasing on foot, and it, it's really kind of uh, a lot of complex parts put together. There is a chase scene in the Italian Connection as well, which I think is directly influenced by that. It's really, I think, maybe the action highlight of the movie. I don't want to talk about that yet, because we'll talk about it when we talk about the movie, but I want to talk to you, Liam. We've talked a little bit about car chases in a few different movies, but I just want generally your thoughts. What are some of your favorite chase scenes? Could be on foot, could be on boat, could be in any context. Where do you like things being chased? It's interesting because it's not something that I keep track of. Like, I don't really have a list in my head. Sure. But I do love a good chase scene. It's funny because um, I just rewatched recent movie, but I had to go see it with Sue's, uh, Spider-Man Across the Mm Spider-Verse. And that actually has an amazing chase scene in it when Miles Morales is being chased by thousands of Spider-Man. And it's, it's, it really gets some of the, uh, some of the fun that a chasing can be uh, another chasing that I find very exciting, but also very silly is the one uh, from a movie you already mentioned Ong Bak with, mm-hmm. uh, with, I don't forget what those are called. Those they're kind of like a, a moped with a big cart on the back. Sure. I know what you're talking about. Yeah. 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 yeah they're, they're in Thailand usually. And uh, there's this chasing where a bunch of those go off the side of something. Yeah. That's yeah. pretty amazing. Um, you know, though, I, I don't have a great list It's because so this chasing, Doug, involves um, cars, but also some on foot stuff. Right. And uh, I kind of like a mix because sometimes um, if, if a chasing is executed just with cars and it's not as well executed as something like the French Connection or even maybe a car movie like Vanishing Point or. Uh, crazy, uh, dirty Mary, crazy Larry, or whatever mm-hmm. it is. Uh, sometimes those connections feel very detached, and you get a lot of shots of just like someone in a car looking really intense. That can be a real bummer. Whereas a lot of times, chase scenes on foot, not only do they give opportunities for a variety of shots, a variety of physical bits, and whatever, even some humor, uh, they can also feel just as intense because you're about to get grabbed, you know. Sure. Uh, but, you know, I don't have like a top 10 necessarily in my head. One Man, that springs to mind in terms of a foot chase is the opening scene of Casino Royale, the Daniel Yes. Craig oh, my one. God. Yes, 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 yes. yes. Uh, which is, I mean, honestly, I think that was the introduction to a lot of people to what parkour was. Right. That was their first time kind of seeing it on screen in any kind of uh, coherent way. And the fact that they, they integrated that into this chase that is also very violent and has all these different moving parts to it. Really uh, just a terrific chase scene and a great way to kind of kick off this new, more physical bond. Are you saying that people didn't see that French parkour movie? Now I've seen district 13 many times. (laughs) Uh, It's funny because district 13 just got added to Tubi as, as did its sequel. And uh, I think it's the remake, the one with Paul Walker. Have you ever seen that? I can't remember what it's called. No, Um, but I saw district 13 many times. And one of the funny things about that is that a, one of the leads is one of the guys who like who like invented parkour. I'm sure people who know parkour are yelling at me right now, but he's like one of the big names in that French scene. And the other guy's like a martial artist, and they kind of combine the two. I used to make a joke, Liam, and I feel really bad about it. That of course the the most famous French martial art because they use it for for actually fighting in the movie is based about around running away as opposed to fighting people. That's um, that's it's kind of mean. It's a mean thing, but appropriate for what we're talking about right now. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of cool stuff in uh, Barrio Thirteen. I feel like 13. I feel like you could list also quite a few Jackie Chan movies. Reference sure, one of our one hundred percent. Yes, uh, especially if you do focus on foot chases. Not that there aren't also car and motorcycle chases in Jackie Chan movies, but there's so many foot chases I can think of where he's sliding on this, he's running on that. I mean, even we've referenced it before, but uh, is it first context, the one where he runs on the side of the building? 
Or is that a different oh. movie? Oh, no. Uh, who Am I is the one. With yeah, the, Who Am I. That's what it's yeah, yeah, right. yes, 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 yes. But, you know, there, there are so many small and large chase scenes with Jackie Chan. And, you know, we've talked about that. Part of that is just his he is almost more exciting when he's trying not to get hit than he is yes, when he's hitting someone that's else. That's right. Uh, but I, I, I feel like there's a difference between uh, a chase scene that involves a lot of explosions and, you know, uh, huge visual uh, 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 special effects and a chasing that's really about the anxiety of like you really don't know what's going to happen, you know? Yeah, if, if someone is is to catch you, the the result. It's funny because I was talking about Casino Royale. In that case, we're focused on James Bond trying to catch someone else. Yes, yes. While in a lot of the cases, probably in the ones that people are thinking about right now, the 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 focus is on the person who's trying to get away. Especially a lot of car movies are about like trying to get away from police or villains or whatever. Yeah, it's it's interesting because it is one of the more classic tropes of cinema that for me always works. Maybe not always, but it, it does it, have a built-in anxiety. I think you really yeah. cut to it. Yeah, if yeah. it's well executed, because obviously you can do anything poorly, but if it's well executed, it most of the time works on me. I don't stop and go, fuck, a chase scene, really? You know, I only notice that if it's a bad chase scene and then I'm frustrated but if a film has figured out how to do that well i don't stop and think hey this has been done one million times before and there's almost (laughs) nothing this movie could do to make it different uh you know each has their own flavor uh, i'm sure but there's so many similar shots and similar ideas similar gags even within different chase scenes you think it would get repetitive and sometimes it does but there are so many that I think are very well executed that really give me a sense of like fun, but also fear. Yeah. Of course, Fury Road is one that also comes to mind in terms of the spectacle and all of the, all of the explosions that you were just referring to. Right. I mean, that's mm-hmm. one that might be the be all end all, but also, you know, I don't, are you a, a fan of uh, uh, Edgar Wright's baby driver? I know that it's a kind of a controversial film. You know, I didn't mind it the first time I saw it, but I tried to rewatch it just before there was lots of reasons not to do that because of uh, one Mr. Kevin Spacey, but mm-hmm. uh, it, and the also, other guy too. The yeah. I actor, right. You know, I don't know anything about him, but I bet that that's true. I want it to not be true. Cause I actually liked uh West side story, which he's into. Isn't that him? Yeah. Baby driver has some exciting stuff in it, but overall on, on rewatch, I just was not as interested in the movie. It's, it just didn't really mean anything to me. I don't know. I didn't, I didn't connect with it beyond just some fun camera work, which is often not the case with an Edgar Wright movie. Like even the ones that I don't necessarily love, like he did, uh, what was that? Last night in Soho? Was that him, mm-hmm. or am I making that? Yeah, up? yeah, that was him. Absolutely. Yeah, th- there's a lot of things I don't love about that movie, but I still mostly connect to it on an emotional level. You know, it's like not a perfect movie, but I get it. Something about Baby Driver just falls fucking flat, and I don't know why that's the case. Let alone it's a the little fact- too cute, right? I think. That's yeah, part I think that's part of it. it, and let alone the fact that at least one, if not two, very problematic people are starring <laughs> in it. It's you know, it's it's a hard movie to want to watch at any point. You know. Liam, today we're here to talk about The Italian Connection. And uh, as per usual, we're using Roberto Curti's Italian crime filmography, 1968 to 1980, as one of the guides to help us choose films for this podcast. just want to read a little tiny bit from his his uh, section on The Italian Connection here. DeLeo's original title for the film was Ordini da un altro mondo, meaning orders from another world, so as to suggest a hierarchic view of crime where the other world is the upper-edge, powerful American-based mafia, which still subjugates the Italian one. Yet, on the other hand, from the point of view of a small-time crook, such as Luca Canali, and all those like him, small fish in the swamp of Milan's underworld, the other world is represented by the local boss Don Vito Trisaldi, whose wishes are orders and who rules over the whole town with just a snap of his fingers from his palace-slash-fortress. Luca Canali, a pimp, a brothel's man who's despised and laughed at by the other mafia men because he doesn't even have a real man's job, has not just the guts to rebel and reject his scapegoat role, he also breaks the absurd rules and power games that have labeled him as an expendable pawn who'd have to sheepishly accept his destiny. In DeLeo's world, power is measured with fear, as shown by the chilling sequence in the sawmill where the two American killers and Don Vito challenge each other's power. Your guys have been marked by you and by Luca Canali, but those marks fade, and when the marks fade, so does fear, but fear must never go away, says Henry Silva before shooting two of Don Vito's henchmen in the legs to reaffirm his preeminence to the other world. Trisaldi has no other choice but to kill the two injured henchmen in cold blood. My intentions are more serious than yours, he claims. Uh, Liam, this is a, a, a similarly styled movie to some that we've already covered 
on Wild in the Streets. And we've been meeting to kind of dip into Fernando de Leo's films previously. The only one that we've covered up to this point is the uh, the film Madness, the Joe Dalsani yeah, movie, which yeah. neither of us enjoyed very much. But we know that he's very well respected in regards to this genre. He's really considered one of the masters of it. And in fact, I don't know if you're aware of this in, from any of the reading that you did on this. This movie that we've watched is really considered the middle part of a trilogy of films, his Milio trilogy, uh, which also includes The Boss and Caliber Number no. Nine. Have you have you seen Caliber Nine or The Boss before? I've seen The Boss. You can guess where I saw it. Uh, <laughs> uh, also with, with Henry Silva. And a lot of people mm-hmm. might be familiar with The Boss because for years, Alamo Drafthouse used the theater scene as one of their don't talk PSAs. Sure. Uh, and so a lot of people just know that scene, if not the movie itself. Um, but I've never seen Caliber 9. And I don't know anything about it. it. Caliber 9, I think, is generally considered one of Delio's best films, if not one of the great Eurocrime movie. So it's one I'm sure we're going to get to soon. I want to mention that Italian Connection is currently, as of the time of this recording, available to watch, along with, I believe, both The Boss and Caliber 9, on the Criterion channel as part of their Fernando de Leo collection. I don't know how long that's going to be. Also available, you know, very commonly available elsewhere. We'll list some of the places after we talk about it proper. But with that said, Liam, let us take a break. I'm very curious, by the way. We have not talked about it. I'm very curious to see what your response to this movie is. Let's take a break. When we come back, 1972's The Italian Connection. The Italian Connection, the story of an international manhunt with a cast of international stars, Luciana Paluzzi, Cyril Cusack, and Henry Silva and Woody Strode as the hunters. I want you to kill him in the most brutal way possible because I want it to be conspicuous, sensational. In other words, make it obvious that the job was commissioned by the New York bosses. They've come 5,000 miles to stalk their prey. Now, they're moving in for the kill. When the Godfather signs your death warrant, there's no place in the world you can hide. Hurry! Shoot him! The Italian connection. Make it, you'll make a fortune. Miss it, you'll get a little round hole right between your eyes. A Milanese pimp is pursued by and then pursues a pair of New York hitmen and the gangsters who framed him for stealing a shipment of heroin. It's 1972's The Italian Connection, a.k.a. La Mala Ordina, also known as Manhunt in the City, Vengeance of the Godfather, Manhunt in Milan, Black Kingpin for some reason, Hitmen, and Hired to Kill. Uh, From the Italian crime filmography, the plot is described as such. A powerful American mafia boss decrees the death of Sicilian pimp Luca Canali, who is rumored to have stolen a shipment of heroin. Actually, Luca is only a scapegoat, and his death will be a message for all the underworld. Two hitmen, Frank Webster and David Catania, uh, arrive in Milan to kill Luca, who's separated from his wife Anna. The killers get in touch with local mafia boss Don Vito Trisaldi, who's actually responsible for the heroin theft. A huge manhunt ensues as Don Vito wants to kill Canali before Webster and Catania find out the truth. However, poor Luca turns out to be a much tougher nut to crack than everyone expects. After his wife and his beloved daughter are brutally killed by one of Vito's men, Luca turns against his tormentors, he destroys Don Vito's whole gang, and eventually kills the boss. In the end, he faces Webster and Catania in a junkyard, and in the final showdown, he dispatches them both. Directed by Fernando de Leo, as we've mentioned uh, already, uh, we've discussed him on a number of different episodes, including on our most recent Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man episode, because he was involved with the writing of that film. But as I've already mentioned, we've only really covered his film Madness, which is not considered one of his best at all. This was, as I said already, the middle section of his Milio trilogy, which also included Caliber 9 from 1972 and The Boss from 1973. Uh, DeLeo was a film, a film noir, wanted to make an Italian version of those films, which is why he got into crime films in uh, in general. Just like a lot of Italian uh, writers and directors of the 60s and 70s, he worked his way into all sorts of genres, including spaghetti westerns and, uh, and giallo, all that sort of stuff. But he really made his mark on movies like this, crime movies, written by Fernando de Leo, Augusto Finocci, uh, also was known for a lot of spaghetti western screenplays, and Ingo Hermes, uh, who also um, uh, worked on, uh, also had a brief career doing screenplays for spaghetti westerns and other Italian films of that like. This film, just like Caliber 9, even though we have yet to cover it, are really based on the writings of Giorgio Scarbonicchio, uh, who was a Milan-centric crime writer who inspired tons of your crime films. He was a frail, shy man, according to Wikipedia, and his style was notable for the realistic way in which he conveyed and evoked the helplessness and despair of weak people being cruelly victimized, which is certainly one of the main themes of this film. 
Uh, we've already mentioned some of the uh, the people involved in this. Mario Adorf plays Luca Canali. We'll talk at length about him. He's really the star of and central character of this. We also have Henry Silva and Woody Strode and Adolfo Seeley, probably best known as the villain from the James Bond movie Thunderball. And we just saw him as the boss, the good guy boss at uh, in Live Like a Cop, Die Like a Man. Some other familiar faces as well, but they are certainly at the core of this. Uh, one of the other things that's most connected with this movie as well, Liam, is that the characters of Vincent Vega and Jules Winfield from Pulp Fiction are... I guess, based somewhat on the Dave and Frank characters, the Henry Silva and Woody Stroke characters in this. We'll talk about that a little bit, but before we get into any of it, let's ask you, Liam, what did you think of 1972's The Italian Connection? Well, there is a small bit of the stuff that we were worried about here, which is uh, it's not a lot of um, strong female characters, and there's certainly a bit of uh, violence against the, the women in this movie, um, and honestly, I had a little trouble vibing at first because I have this thing, Doug, where, um, I am not going to immediately identify with a pimp character. That's I get just, that. Absolutely. It's just not going to happen. It's, you know, this is a person who exists purely to steal the money from sex workers. So I see this guy and I think, uh, fuck this guy. So when it slowly becomes obvious that this man is maybe not our hero, but certainly our protagonist. Right. I had a, I had a little trouble vibing with that, and really, what sold me on it was this climactic moment when his wife and daughter are killed, and you really start to understand that, like, whatever sins this man has committed, whatever amount that he is a bad dude, which he is, right? He's not yeah. a good guy. Um. He didn't deserve all this, and he's getting treated this way because uh, someone else isn't willing to pay the price for their own greed. So it's his job to eat shit and die and suffer because someone else is greedy and they're and he's below them. And it's such a so, sorry to interrupt, but it's such a great setup, right? The idea yeah. that they just you know the 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 villain is like the big boss. He just needed to give a name, and the the lowest level piece of shit he could think of was Luca. So that's why he gave the name, and he just ended up being the wrong guy because. Uh, like he's he's getting accused of all these things and being chased because it's convenient and he just makes himself incredibly inconvenient by refusing to die. Well, and there's an extent to which the movie the the characters in the movie think of uh, what's the Don's what's the Don's name again? I already forgot. It's just boss. Don Vito in this. Don Vito. So uh, there's a feeling that Don Vito, though dangerous, is predictable. Because Don Vito is all-powerful. But what we see from the beginning of the movie is Don Vito is not all-powerful. He, too, has people above him who could <laughs> cost him his life. And therefore, because he experiences fear the way us mortals do, he is as untrustworthy. He is as – because what you see again and again in this movie is that when people experience fear – they are more than willing to make decisions that they wouldn't otherwise make, including two of Luca's friends who turned him over. And one of the moments of the movie that I found to be very effective, if also silly in its own way, is when one of his friends does betray him until he hears, wait, you killed his wife and daughter? Right. And it's like, before that moment, he's so dismissive. Hey, don't be such an asshole. Just go yeah, with just the Just go guys. see the well, Don. What's the This big is deal? the Don. You don't say no to the Don. Yeah, and yeah. Then they killed my wife and daughter. He's like, they did what now? You did that? And they're just like, shut up. Like, they don't want to talk to him. And then my man does like a double back kick on these two dudes, which is the part that's silly. <laughs> but it's, it's crazy because the scene, you know, this whole movie's at a heightened level, Doug, right? And it'd be easy to dismiss the emotions of the movie. But there are emotions in this movie. It has an emotional core. And that scene is actually being played pretty... Uh, not totally straightforward. It's all a bit histrionic, but more straightforward until sure. he does the double back kick, which doesn't make the scene bad. It actually makes it better, but it was a moment where I went, what a ridiculous thing to do in such a serious scene. <laughs> Wait, you murdered his family? Ha-cha! And it's just like, it's also, what it's the filmed fuck? Really, it's filmed like super close up. So for a second, you're like, how did his legs go in those directions? What did it's he real do? strange. <laughs> it's he basically for people who want to know. There's a giant sort of mason table in the room that could actually hold his weight. So he moves forward like he's just moving towards him, but he actually uses the table to then kick backwards and kick both of these hitmen in the face, which is dumb. But also the way it's filmed, it's kind of badass. So I just was like, <laughs> yeah, man, cool, sick. And this dude kind of feels like a 
like a not tough hippie up to this point. Like you don't get the vibe that this is a hardened criminal. So sure. the fact that he's so deeply offended for his friend that now all of a sudden he's got kung fu powers, it was like it was pretty. It was pretty cool. Anyways, point is, I I didn't vibe at first, but once I felt like I could have some amount of sympathy for this guy because he sucks, but also he is. the movie goes out of its way to make sure you don't think of him as a hero. Right. But you're just watching whether he's going to survive. And you kind of want him to survive because, like, as much as he sucks, this is bullshit. This whole fucking thing is bullshit from whatever angle. And so the movie executes those stakes so well that I'm sold on the movie. But it took me a bit, like I said, because... There's no one to connect. I mean, we've got these two hitmen who I don't give a fuck about. And I was ready to love Henry Silva because I love Henry Silva. But they really want you to know that this guy's a fucking creep. He's the worst. And um, every other character that you have any sympathy for is either on Luca's side or, uh, or you know, just kind of gets killed at some point. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah, yeah. There, there's not a lot of people to worry about, really, other than Luca. And I think the movie actually does a good job. As much as I say it was hard for me at first, I think the movie does a good job of slowly getting you to feel somewhat bad for him. It, it never goes to the point where you're like, what a great dude. This dude, he's he's not great. But that doesn't mean his family had to die. Like, what the fuck? You know? And yeah. so it really sells that point while also like – you know, we talk a lot about how some of our favorite of these movies are the ones where the cops are terrible. But I'm okay with the criminals being terrible too, especially when we're talking about organized crime, which often really relies on exploitation and abuse. It's it's very rarely in some of the stories we've seen is it some rugged individual fighting against a system that's unfair. A lot of times it's just a struggle between different power sources. So a movie where all of these folks are pretty shitty that's fine too it it, it it really was and it's and it's as you said it's exciting and it has one of the better chase scenes i've ever seen in a movie period and that's pretty great i'm i mean you brought up a lot of the things that i was going to bring up specifically about my response to the movie which is that it's difficult to initially have any strong positive feelings about the luca canali character because he's not only a pimp but he's kind of like he's the movie makes it clear that those power dynamics that you were just talking about, those levels of power dynamics, there's still one underneath him, which is that, which is the women that are working under him and he controls them and he physically abuses them and all that sort of shit that you would expect from a, you know, sleazy pimp character in one of these movies. But the movie, I think, I don't think the movie at first is like, you got to love this guy, even though it shows him interact with his ex-wife and his kid and shows him being very lovable in that case. It also shows him being, kind of an idiot and kind of a dick. And, you know, I think that the movie really wants to, to make sure that uh, whatever sympathy that you have with him is going to grow slowly as the movie goes on. And because of the necessity of having to grow like that, it can take a while to settle into this movie, which is not helped by the fact that there's almost no action for like the first hour. And that's difficult for an, an action movie, right? It's very different different from a lot of the movies that we've covered on this uh, so far. It's especially odd because once the action kicks in, a lot of it is really good, particularly that chase scene, which we're going to go into uh, in some detail in just a moment. But no, I really loved it. I particularly loved the last like 40 minutes of it, which is just great moment after great moment. Everything after his family gets murdered, which is kind of an odd thing to say out loud, is just stellar. And it also helps justify a lot of what comes before because the build is what makes it. Uh, and I also was kind of intrigued. You know, this guy who's basically just on the run from everybody. You can't trust any friend that he has. That entire segment where he goes to see the mechanic to try to get a weapon. Where yeah, he's just being yeah. set up the whole time. I really like all that material as well. It's exactly the same thing with that other situation. Just slightly different in the sense that his it's not like his friends are just suddenly bad guys. It's that they know that he has no power. So they're like, well, look, you're going to get caught anyway. Better that you get turned in by a friend that might be able to assist, you know, that, that at least uh, that, to make that a little easier to get into it. None of them think that he's going to be killed for this. But, like, even when he gets one up on the, the criminals at that garage, suddenly the, the, the mechanic is like, look, I like – he even says it straight out. I like the Don more than I like you. But he, he helps him. He helps him out, right outright. He doesn't care. It's just whoever is holding the gun at any particular time. It's a really interesting look yeah. at things. And I really, really like – that performance of Luca Canali by Mario Ador. But before we get into him, let's talk about those two boring hitmen that you were just mentioning. 
Vincent May- Vega and Jules together <laughs> for the first time. Woody Strode, Henry Silva, two big Hollywood names on here. Uh, for those who aren't too familiar, you probably, I mean, you've definitely seen Henry Silva's face before. He has that kind of skeletal, you know, beady-eyed face. We've seen him already uh, in some of the movies that we've covered on this very podcast. Woody Strode, legendary Western actor, uh, shows up in Once Upon a Time in the West in the opening scene. But really, his his opening scene appearance in that was based on the fact that he had been in so many Westerns that he was already iconic. Uh, and a former pro wrestler as well. Uh, very kind of hulking figure, very quiet and and um, and the more dignified of the two in this case. What did you think of these two Hitman characters? I know you've already said it a little bit. And were you disappointed to find that they were not the main characters in the movie? I think I was a little disappointed only in that, you know, that's our in at the beginning of the narrative. Right. But I also wasn't, like I said, in that Henry Silva's playing a pretty unlikable guy. Uh, and that's not to say that Woody Strode's character is charming by comparison. But, you know, we've got the silent, menacing guy who might have his own stuff going on. And we've got the creepy sex fiend who is just constantly hitting on every woman around him, whether they're interested or not. And in a movie like this, a character like the one that Henry Silva's playing, there's so much potential for sexual assault. It's so a thing on the table as one of the things that this movie might do. The genre the might plot. do, really. Yeah, right, yeah, that's what I mean. This genre might be doing. That, that character, whether it was intended to or not, gave me anxiety because I thought, fuck. I don't want to watch Henry Silva assault someone in this movie. I just, that's not something I'm interested in. And so the fact that we leave them at some point works uh, for me. What I did appreciate about them not being the main characters is that they are the living example of how afraid this guy is of, you know, New York, basically, of the U.S. mafia, right? right? He has a deep fear of these fuckers. And like the fact that these two dickheads are walking around kind of not really being good at what they do, just being menacing, it, like, helps. It, like, really, like, helps me understand what's going on. And I and I want to really emphasize that for people because the way that, you know, the two examples we have of people who know the Don, right, and turn over Luca, as you said, it really is like, a, well, you know, what the fuck? But part of the attitude is, like, the Don could kill you, Right. But the Don wouldn't kill you for no reason. So if if I'm turning you over and it turns out the Don kills you, you probably did something to deserve it. Right. And it's only because we see how scared this guy is. As much as he talks about himself like he's God, he only does that to Italian people. As soon as he finds out these Americans are coming, he's so afraid he's going to get fucked over for stealing this heroin, right? Yeah. And that aspect of it is it's such a revelation to me, Doug, this idea of like, yeah, we can trust this guy who's a monster in our lives because he would only make a decision based upon his well-being. He would never be so afraid of someone else that he would ever do what he does, which is make this person a scapegoat. Because who would he ever be afraid of? And it turns out, uh, uh, yeah, a, a whole other place, a whole city, he's afraid, a whole other organization he's afraid of. I like that whenever Don Vito talks about the U.S. and New York, like you were just saying, and he talks about he's like he talks to his like underlings he's like do you think that they know that we stole the heroin i bet they do like he is convinced that they already know uh-huh, that he uh-huh. did it right even though from what we see at the beginning they don't know they have no <laughs> idea they have no idea what's going on <laughs> but he thinks they're just all powerful right because like you were saying that they're the level above him there's this but anyway so i i like the way i do it end up uh appreciating the way those characters function i was at first a little like Man, are we going to spend the whole movie with these guys? Because they're a little like frustrating as characters. <laughs> but uh, but but now, once I understood what their actual role was, I liked them as characters. So I think they fill it well. Which is, you feel the menace, but they're not perfect. You see from the beginning that they are not perfect hitmen, right? They might carry the, <laughs> the name of New York with them, but but they are not good at what they do, per se. I like how part of their deal is just waiting around until someone calls them and tells them where to go. <laughs> like, the, literally, Luke calls them multiple times. What do you think about this idea of them being an influence on the characters from Pulp Fiction? I mean, I don't trust anything Quentin Tarantino says. We've <laughs> talked about this on the a recent episode, Doug. Like, No, I know. That's why I wanted to bring it up. I think that it's, again, but I think this both plays into Tarantino's reputation of ripping things off and the reality of it, which is, oh, he saw a movie which had a black and white hitman working together, and that, and then he's like, well, 
that kind of influenced my choice to make a black and white hitman in my movie. But like that's as far as it goes. It's not like they're having discussions about fast food and shit. They, they don't even seem to be very friendly to each other. If anything, Woody Schroeder's character seems pretty annoyed by Henry Silva's actions throughout the whole movie. Well, and Henry Silva's character is not, I mean, I guess we don't, because so many things go wrong for him, we don't think of Vincent Vega as smooth, right? No. But, like, he actually is kind of smooth compared to this Henry Silva asshole. Like, don't be wrong, I love Henry Silva. This is not a, this is not a valuation between Henry Silva and John Travolta. But the Vincent Vega character is actually kind of smooth. And then the story of Pulp Fiction is so many fucking things going wrong for him that we just see him being a dickhead, even though in theory, he's a smooth guy, right? Sure. And in this story, if things go wrong for this Henry Silva character, no part of you goes, well, he wasn't, ex you know, that that's a surprise. I didn't see that. It's like the whole movie, I'm thinking, how long till this dude fucks up? You know, like he just does not have his shit together. Uh, and, and so like... The, the idea that he was inspired by anything other than the visuals is – and they don't even look like them either. It's just no. a black and a white guy. They don't yeah, even yeah. wear suits or anything. It's it's the, the, the comparison is very silly in my mind. Yeah. Though it's, it is one of the things that people most bring up in regards to this movie. I mean obviously Tarantino loves Delio's films. And sure. I'm sure yeah, some yeah, of the yeah, – yeah. I think the idea of uh, characters that are morally dubious and us kind of having to connect with them because you see their humanity is something that he carries through in a lot of, uh, but not just from DeLeo's films, from basically tons of crime fiction from yeah. the 70s and before and after. Uh, let's talk about Mario Dorf as Luca Canali. Uh, I'm sure he's an actor that we've both seen in things, if you, even if you don't necessarily recognize him. Probably most famous from being in The Tin Drum and some other Volker Schoendorf movies from that time period as well. Has been in some uh, English-speaking roles as well. Kind of famously, he turned down roles in The Godfather uh, as well as The Wild Punch, which he has greatly regretted. He's still with us at the age of 92. Uh, so uh, nice that he is still around. I was acting as recently as 2021. So uh, a very lengthy, very uh, packed career. Also showed up in Caliber 9 for Fernando Del Dio. Uh, was in a lot of other Italian movies at that time period of various genres, including Execution Squad. Um, so, but that said, when he is introduced at the beginning of this movie, and I was not aware that he was going to be the main character, at first I was like confused when the movie started to focus on him. I'm like, this guy? This is who we're going to have to spend time with? But as the movie went along, I had you know greater and greater respect for this performance. What did you think of uh, the Luca Canali character as played by Mario Adolf? Well, I mean, this is not a movie about growth, right? This is right. not a movie about... If, uh, if it is, it's forced, like, um, forced short-term growth. So what he has to do is have this guy sort of go through new situations and change and become more, again, not endearing, but just more sympathetic without making him a different person. Like, if he had suddenly become noble or less of a dickhead, that it doesn't work, right? It's like you've <laughs> lost sight of the character. But w I truly believe that the guy at the beginning of the movie that I'm like, I don't like this guy. Like, this guy sucks. And the guy at the end of the movie who, I'm, you know, I want him to beat these hitmen, really. I'm pulling for him to win to a certain extent. This is the same fucking guy, right? Like, yeah. you believe mm -hmm. it. You really believe that, like... Uh, and you see some things. Like, he has separated from his wife, which is her decision, of course. Sure. But he still cares about his daughter, and in that in that scenario, I mean, he's a low level criminal, but he is a man of violence. He could find some way to like force his wife not to leave, right? And sure. that's a bridge too far for him, despite being an asshole, right? And the movie really makes you think that though he is selfish to some extent, he does care about his daughter. Like his 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 affection for them, though not perfect, is still authentic, and I think he has to sell us that that emotion is authentic enough that when that bridge is crossed, he has enough grit to not care that in his world, he's a worm, right? That, right. Or, or maybe not a worm. He's a scorpion, right? He's, 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 he's big enough to punish people, but not big enough to have authority. And he doesn't give a fuck because this is too much. He's, he's been victimized the whole movie and then they just really crossed that final bridge, and now he's going to fucking do something about it. But even as he's doing it, you never get this like heroic. He's never like, "Now I've become a real man," or you know, no, no. there are lots of ways that this movie could make it too dramatic, and it never does that. He's still a dickhead, but he's just the wrong dickhead today. Today was not the day for this particular guy who sucks, but he doesn't suck so much that he deserves all this, right? 
he's also on so, sort of a suicide mission, right? Yes. I mean, there's no he suggestion care that he's, yeah, he doesn't care anymore. All he wants is the revenge for what these men did to him. And I mean, that is something that is so kind of understandable because the line that they crossed was so violent against people who were so innocent that it's just like, well, hey, look, whatever this guy is, and he's probably going to die anyway. Let him get his revenge first, because the people who did the shit to him are just as bad, if not worse. I will say, I think my favorite favorite scene in the entire movie, outside of the chase scene, is when he finally confronts Don Vito and kills all the men in his office, and they have that discussion with each other. Just because Don Vito is such an interesting character, because he isn't just like straight up evil, he just picked the wrong guy to pin something on. Like this is probably something he's done a thousand different times before. He just picked the guy. If anything, he has respect for Luca. While at the same time despising him. And I also just like the machinations in his brain where he's just like, oh, maybe you can do this. Maybe you can do this. And like just as a way to survive. Uh, but when Don Vito realizes that like there's just no way he's going to get out of that office um, alive, that he, he has a certain amount of dignity in his death. Even though he is the evil character who put, you know, laid this horrible incident upon Luca's character. I think it's a really interesting kind of relationship. I mean, I, I think you're a little more stoked on this dude than I am, but I think that uh, what I what I do appreciate about it is that this whole world that they're participating in, it's all about power and abuse, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think the conversation he has with, with Don Vito, it, it does obscure the fact Don Vito still wants to go out with some sense of power, and he does have that power. He does command a certain amount of power in his world. But the reality is he did this thing because he's afraid, man. And all of this world is about – I mean, even New York, right? The, the very organization that um, is striking such fear into Don Vito's heart, right? That organization sent those hitmen and was like, make sure you kill them in public so people know. It's so yeah. much about manipulation. It's so much about fear because without the fear – there's no power, right? People just go, well, fuck you. Especially in a criminal world that's based on a lack of rules. Without fear, people aren't going to go, well, I don't know. The rules say I got to respect this Don Vito guy, so I guess I will. It's like you do it because you're afraid. And uh, and so Don Vito insists on going out, sort of portraying that he isn't afraid. But I think it's all bullshit. I think but, but like that's it. That's afraid. it. It's kind of a performance. But performance yes. is a big part of this as well. Remember at yes, the very 100%. opening scene, yes, yes, yes. you get the two hitmen and they're being told when you go to Italy, basically act like assholes. Put your feet up on the tables, right? You, yes. Because yes. that is what they expect. That's how you differentiate yourself as American hitmen c compared to the people there. You need to be bigger and bolder and, and like like larger than life. And that that's why in some ways the fact that Henry Silva acts like such a prick throughout it. I, you wonder how much of it is supposed to be performative, though you think if it was performative, then how come Woody Strode is not being involved in it whatsoever? I think that some of it is performative, but at a certain level, the, his relationship with Woody Strode really reveals he's got a problem with ladies, man. Like, Woody yeah. Strode knows immediately, like, all right, you're not going to do this again. Like, other missions they have been on have been ruined because Henry Silva is just looking to score the whole time they're there. It's also... it. One thing that is made very clear in the final sequence is the way that Luca has been able to connect with with someone on a very real level with his wife and his daughter is exactly the kind of relationships that these two hitmen don't have because they immediately jettison the one person that they seem to care about or that have made a connection with in Italy. They they completely treat her as a tool. And I mean, she's dispatched of as all the women in this movie are in a very violent and unpleasant manner. Uh, let's go on to the chase scene after his wife and daughter are run down in the street Luca loses it uh, and starts to chase after this guy in this kind of like small van who killed his his wife and, and child. And this chase sequence is for a movie that d doesn't have much action up to that point. The fact that they then kick things off with one of the greatest action sequences I've seen in recent memory, maybe one of the great ch chase sequences of all time. He doesn't just chase after him. He chases after them, crashes then gets out on foot, chases him again, gets into different vehicles, and then just chasing after him again. It is unbelievable. It is so good. And apparently uh, Mario Addo, the, the actor, he did all of his own stunts during this. And you can kind of tell he's really doing a lot of the stuff. He's hanging off the side of these vehicles as they're rolling around. Uh, I also like that they've kind of established up to this point that Luca has a hard head. He uses it several times oh, as yes, a weapon yes, yes. just so they can then set it up so he could break the window of the vehicle as he's holding on to the front of it. Liam, what did you think of this chase sequence? I mean, we've already said it's exciting. Yeah. It's fun. 
it's something people don't think about with something like a chase sequence or any action sequence. It's witty. The reason these things don't get boring is because someone was creative with the various yes. moments mm-hmm. in the sequence. And this keeps mixing it up and keeps making yeah. it interesting. It's not just a car squealing tires, like, going around. And so, yeah, yeah, you're exactly right. It's always something different. And it always there's a technical skill, right? There's a technical skill to making sure people understand where they are because you're switching cameras, you're switching angles, you're switching aspects of the thing. It can get confusing. So it does all the technical stuff. But also, it does things that are fun and weird and add to the character. We understand Luca more after this chase, which is like... He's not the smartest guy in the world, but he's not going to just give up in this situation. And because he's not willing to give up, and this guy doesn't expect that. He doesn't expect him not to give up. He's going to win because this guy Mm -hmm. isn't ready for someone to be this ready to come after him. He just, for whatever reason, thinks, now I drive away and we're good. And it's like, nah, man, this dude's going to get you. There's nothing you can do. He's never going to stop. He's just going to keep coming. Yeah, it's it's it really is something different. It's not like the other chases that we've we've seen in a lot of these movies. Like I said, probably clearly influenced by the French Connection chase, even though it has very different motivations. But the very fact that the motivations are so strong, like you really want to see him catch this guy and beat him to death or beat the shit out of him or whatever, it just goes really buck wild in a way that I wasn't expecting. Like I knew that this movie has a pretty good reputation as a Euro crime movie, but I think it generally is, is regarded as the least of that trilogy of films. But even in the write-ups for people who don't like this movie, they're always like, but it has this chase sequence that you need to see. It's also helped along by the soundtrack of the movie by Armando Travaholi. Now, we we talk about the soundtracks in most of these Eurocrime movies. A lot of them are a little bit more um, unique than the one in this film, only in the sense that this movie is soundtracked by a lot of horns, very kind of typical uh, cop stuff. That said, I was a big fan of the uh, of the music whenever it kicked in in this. Very propulsive, lots of drumming. What did you think of the music in The Italian Connection? Oh, loved it. It's it's what I want in this kind of movie. It's classic. If I ever see this on vinyl, it's an instant pickup for me. I love this vibe. It's it's again. I wish I kind of knew more about this kind of uh, music to really give people an understanding of it. But sure. like uh, the best way I could describe it to maybe people like me who don't know the ins and outs of seventies Italian music is that this is the music you want in an exciting Eurocrime movie. It does what you want. You know, it it has a bit of the funkiness. It's got the rhythm to it. It's a good time. It's it's the sort of thing that makes me think of men in bell bottoms chasing each other. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It is very much of its time in the most perfect way that you could hope for it to be. The other major action scene of the Italian connection is the final shootout that takes place between our hitmen, Woody Strode and Henry Silva and Luca. Uh, he meets them in a junkyard and uh, they, they of course bring the woman that's been showing them around the area immediately use her as a pawn and dispatch her. What did you think of this? This has a lot of moving pieces and a lot of creativity as well. Did you enjoy this shootout? I want to mention, by the way, I think the gunplay in this is really fun. And I think that the the chase obviously is great. All the hand-to-hand stuff is really sloppy looking, including that kick that you were talking about earlier, even though that's a lot of fun. But like whenever two guys need to punch, it just looks like they're making it up as they're going along. It can be, in some ways, I really like that, but it also looks so different than what you expect out of kind of hand-to-hand combat. Well, I like it better because... I think that in – not that these movies need to be too concerned with real life, but I think someone making this movie going, yeah, and then they just sort of try to punch each other. I don't know. They don't really know. that the, the This idea that, like, every criminal is also a martial artist doesn't really work, right? Like, I kind of like that they just are they, – they fight like uh, people who just grew up trying to smash someone and not really knowing what they're doing. Right. The the problem for me is that it's also filmed in a way that knows this is not that important. Like the 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 this this it's smart, I guess, that they know this part of this sequence is not that exciting. So we're not going to show it with too much detail. But as someone who has gotten very used to people sort of at least making sure you can see what's happening, it does get a little jarring. I don't mind that these guys don't know what they're doing. But I kind of don't love some of the camera decisions that kind of obscure what's happening because it's distracting. Not the whole time, but at certain moments, you know. What did you think about the final fate of our two Hitmen characters? Specifically the Henry Silva one who gets a, kind of a unique ending. 
Yeah, like, why don't you tell he, us? Why don't you tell us what happens? He gets cr- <laughs> he gets crushed in one of those like crusher claws they use on cars <laughs> in a junkyard. Yeah. That's fine. I mean, I kind of <laughs> I I'll be honest. I felt like though it's well done and there's like fun aspects to it. I was a little less invested in the final fight only because. I was so much more concerned with him taking care of the boss that once he took care of the boss, it was kind of like, it's not the end or anything, right? But I just was kind of like, okay, that's fine, whatever. And yeah. then I just was ready. I was right. Re- that feels more almost like a denouement than, it, than the climax. I no, want right. him to yeah, kill yeah. the boss. Mm-hmm. Yes, he has to face these guys, but they're less important than the boss. And so, uh, you know, it, it's it's fun. I like that it's tense, but it doesn't actually give you the idea that these guys are special ops fighting yeah. masters yeah. they are shooting at each other like assholes who don't practice shooting enough yeah. which is how it is for most i think for a lot a lot of people they don't actually know what they're doing with this fucking gun so they're just they're in a junkyard they see a movement they just shoot their gun they don't know what the fuck they're doing everyone looks afraid like even these two supposedly seasoned hitmen they're not stoked to be doing what they're doing. They're not like, yeah, woohoo! Like an '80s movie would make them like giggling with insane laughter the whole time. Yeah, yeah, and, and honestly, get being too cocky about it. But in this case, it just, just seems like they—they they, it doesn't seem like they're afraid necessarily. But it doesn't seem like they're on the ball. It's like they have this great plan to get them to this junkyard, and then they don't know what to do once they get there. I I think they don't expect him to have so much fight. They really yeah. think, oh, we're gonna get this guy and. That's what the theme of the movie, that everyone underestimates him. And really, he underestimates himself, right? Yeah. Like, the feeling you get is that part of the reason he has taken on this role as a pimp is because he couldn't make it as a hitman or a bodyguard. And so this is another place where he can use violence. But it's all uh, – uh, this is a more obvious point of exploitation. All of it's exploitation, right? Or else he wouldn't be in this situation in the first place. But his job is the most naked example of exploitation. But it's just he doesn't see anything for himself beyond being a guy who can take a hit and give a hit. That's all he thinks he is in the world. Yeah. And it's made him gross. And, like, again, the movie never makes him heroic. But you do see that, like, there's at least more uh, – uh, I don't want to say grit because that has a weird political connotation, but more like he has more of a, a desire to survive and to, you know, push his will than I think he, I think before this, despite loving his daughter, he doesn't care about anything. He's barely a, a living a life, really. Yeah, if he cared enough, he would get out of this business because his wife is very, like, she's clearly the reason that they broke up was because he wouldn't stop being a pimp. Right, exactly, exactly. And even the the things that, other pimp characters might take joy in, which is their access to uh, sex workers who feel obligated to be with them. He doesn't like that either. There's nothing. uh, The only moment you see him maybe enjoying himself before uh, things go dark for him is when he has to beat up some guys, right? Like he's got to beat up two dudes who are causing trouble. And he looks for a moment, like maybe he's having a good time, but that's it. For the most part, he's just a cranky asshole. The whole movie. Yeah. What did you think about the kitten in that uh, junkyard scene? Bummer. That's a bummer. Yeah. Poor kitty. Yeah. That felt like it was a little too much for my delicate sensitivity. I well, I was more concerned about all the violence against women, Doug. But I know you like cats more. So, Well, I mean, no one is innocent except for animals. Right? Animals <laughs> uh, cats, though? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, well, fair enough. Liam, any final thoughts on the Italian connection? I mean, it has some of the worries that we already have, which I hope people aren't tired of, because it doesn't make this necessarily a bad movie. But if, you, if you're if you coming into this thinking, oh, Liam and Doug love this, it must not have any violence against women. <laughs> nah, dog, it does. It's there. It's just not as egregious as other movies. It doesn't have like the constant threat of sexual assault the way a lot of other movies do. Um, and more importantly, it has a central sort of uh, movement that I think really works and is really well executed. Uh, but my guess is if you listen to this show, you already know what it probably has in it. And it has that stuff, whether you yeah. love it or hate it. It's kind of a, it's kind of a, a an er example. It's like a, a, a paradigm example of what these movies do. I think <laughs> though it does not valorize cops because the police are non-existent in this movie. They oh yes. <laughs> well, I, I also, well, again, that, I, you know, positive or negative. To me, one of the big negatives is the valorization of cops. So I did like that that wasn't in this movie. Although it is funny how the cops just 
They don't exist in the movie. There yeah, are no not police there. in Milan. What is it about Milan? This is and this is something else we're gonna have to start talking about. Is there's just something in, about these these movies have an attitude about Milan that we're gonna have yeah. to understand at some point. Absolutely, it's just, it must have this reputation of this lawless, you know, organized crime led area. And I don't know how much reality is in that, and how much of it is, hey, we need a place that is like how the U.S. shows. New York in a lot of these movies of the 70s, right? A place where, though, I mean, even that, you would probably still show cops at least existing, even if they were just being bought off. It is kind of amusing how how strong the, like you said, like this, these kind of levels of organized crime. Don Vito is all powerful in that area, but in the context of the world, he is considered almost nothing. And it's a it's an interesting little dichotomy on display here in The Italian Connection, a movie that you can see very easily right now on the Criterion channel, uh, as long as you have access to that. If you don't, you can still buy it on Amazon Video, Google Play Movies, YouTube, uh, elsewhere as well. You can also uh, rent it and download it on Amazon Video, Google Play, YouTube, etc. You can find this movie very, very easily. Leo, I want to ask you, did you watch the English dub or the Italian dub? Oh, Italian. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm nothing against the English dub. I just I was I knew I had the the wherewithal to pay attention to the Italian, so I thought, let's do that just to like have it. Although uh there are I don't know if he did it in this movie, but I've seen a number of Henry Silva movies where he doesn't do his own dub, and I think that's kind of fun cuz I like seeing what kind of crazy people they have do his <laughs> voice, you know. Uh funnily enough, Mario Adorf does his own English dub. Uh, in the English dub of this movie, which he didn't do for Caliber Nine, so weird, so weird. Yeah, I mean, I mean, look, I mean, if I was an actor and could, you know, and, and knew those languages, I'd do it too, right? I mean, at least you can control the performance, and probably just as many people, or maybe not just as many, but if there's potential for as many people to see you in that. I actually started watching it with the English dub first, with the idea that, well, it's got. I thought Woody Strode and Henry Silva's characters were going to be a little bit more uh, central to the movie than they ended up being. I actually turned it off because. They're so wooden in their in the way that they deliver their dialogue in that opening scene. I'm like, this is irritating. <laughs> I'd rather not have to think about the performances on that level. So then I switched to the Italian and I had a very good time doing so. And that's one of the things, right? We sometimes have difficulty talking about the quality of performances. I will say that um, Mario Adorf's uh, performance shines through whether it's in Italian or not um, as Luca in this. Uh, notably, almost all the main actors... Uh, in in the um, sequences where they interact in this are almost all speaking English. You can see that their mouth movements match the English language version instead, mostly because Woody Strode and Henry Silva, I guess, were on set a lot of the times. And even though their characters are supposed to speak Italian, I don't believe that they, at least not both of them, actually did. Liam, on the next episode of Wild in the Streets, uh, we're jumping ahead a few years to 1975's Syndicate Sadists, from director Umberto Lenzi, uh, the plot is after his friend is killed as a result of a war between two crime families, a biker vows to destroy the families and rescue a boy they have kidnapped. Uh, I can't remember. I should be able to remember. I'm sure we've already uh, encountered Umberto Lenzi on this podcast before. Didn't we do uh, Almost Human? Yes, Almost Human. Absolutely. Yes. We both enjoyed that very much. Amazing movie. And we talked about it already a little bit. When I was like a teenager in my late teens and when people talked about Umberto Lindsay, it was always in regards to his uh, horror movies. And generally, he did not have a very uh, positive reputation because a lot of the movies he made were just ripoffs of others and usually a little lesser. I feel like his reputation since the availability increased of a lot of these Eurocrime movies has really you know, uh, improved significantly. And I think a lot of people think mo most of his best movies are in this genre. Have not seen Syndicate Status before, Liam? Uh, are you uh, uh, curious about this movie? Its tagline is, Cruel Enforcers Living by the Dirtiest Set of Rules. I mean, I'm curious just because it's Umberto Lenzi, but, you know, it, this part of what's selling me is you've included this ridiculous poster <laughs> that I can't possibly understand what the fuck is happening. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious because of that. It also uh, stars Tomas Milian, uh, which I hope is another selling point for you. We've uh, seen him several times before, including an almost human. And Joseph Cotton, the great Joseph Cotton, is in the film as well in his slumming 70s days. On the next episode of Wild in the Streets, 1975's Syndicate Sadist. Liam, if you want to check out more episodes of Wild in the Streets or other wonderful podcasts, what's the best way for them to do so? Well, obviously, people can head to our network website, cinepunks.com. That's C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X, where we host our you know most recent episodes as well as a whole family of podcasts, whether that's uh, flagship podcast Cinepunks or Twitch of the Death Nerve or Tomb of Ideas. 
uh, or uh, The Carnage Report. Lots of great podcasts over there, as well as some writing. Um, me and Justin Lohr are still doing some writing over there. Yeah. Uh, we might have other people do it. it. It's not the focus of the site, but we do try to get reviews up when we have them. And um, often we'll, we'll do stuff for festivals. So if you're curious about new movies that are playing at genre festivals, that's where a lot of our coverage still happens. Uh, if they want to dive into the archives of this show, they should head over to our website, Doug, cinemasmorgasbord.com, where we have uh, our show broken into the various uh, uh, mini shows that we do, whether it's this Wild in the Streets or our show about uh, Alejandro Jodorowsky or our show covering the careers of actors like Carol Kane, Steve Buscemi, Vic Diaz, uh, and, you know, uh, some special stuff, too. Some some one-off features and things like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, also, social media, you know, Cinepunks is on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, just C-I-N-E-P-U-N-X. And we're on Twitter, at least for now, uh, Cinema Smorg, S-M-O-R-G. You can do a search for Cinema Smorgasbord on Facebook as well. You can follow Liam on Twitter at Liam Rules. That's R-U-L-Z. I'm on there as well, at Doug underscore Tilly. That's T-I-L-L-E. Why? Uh, yeah, if you enjoy what you're hearing right now, uh, or if you want to check out some of our other podcasts, why don't you leave us a review on your podcast provider of choice? Every little bit helps. And if you're enjoying it all the more, why don't you tell a friend? It's the best way to get other people to listen to the show. But for now, Liam, we need to close up the Eurocrime bag. We'll be back very soon with 1975's Syndicate Sadist. Good night, everyone. Night-night. Night-night. <laughs>